Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Well, yeah, Bart, it's uh, really happy to have you today. And yeah, we're just, we're interested. How long have you been in Spokane? Oh, I just over seven years. Uh, we moved here after I retired from the Marine Corps in uh, 2016. Marine Corps? Yeah. Right, tell us about that yeah. journey. Well, that started right after high school, yeah. so it's a bit, bit of, was a bit of a journey. Uh, it's all I ever wanted to do uh, as a kid. You know, I grew up in northwest Montana, ran around the woods, played with sticks. Like <laughs> Libby, Montana, Kalispell? Uh, just north of Kalispell, a little town called Fortine. Uh, it's just up on the Canadian border? Uh, just south of Eureka, so about okay. 20 miles from Canada. Yeah. Uh, I think we had about 100 people in there. My dad was uh, the pastor of a church there, and that's how we, we ended up there. Uh, not a lot of houses, a lot of woods. Uh, it's a great place to grow up. I can imagine. So, yeah, you were just exploring all those mountains and streams and rivers Beautiful. yeah yeah i think about uh, outdoor activities and you know they there's a lot of stuff to do here uh but like hunting and fishing i walked like 10 steps and there was the creek and and a place and it's a little more complicated here uh, so i haven't done any of it but uh, uh what a neat way to grow up heck yeah they call it god's country for a reason right oh, yeah yeah mountains they really great they, they get me but you were ready to go, so it was Marines uh, right out of high school. Yeah, uh, I didn't really have another plan. Y y you know, it was uh, all I ever really wanted to be as a kid. And, uh, you know, you go into the service, and, and it works for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people it works for just a short period of time. Sure. Uh, you know, they'll do a four years and get out, but... You get some work experience. You get to live somewhere that's not at home. Uh, and for me, it just worked. Uh, I was able to uh, get a four-year degree in my first enlistment um, and was selected for uh, a commission uh, during that time. And it just kind of progressed, and it worked. Yeah, it's like, here, this is a career. Yeah, it turned yeah. into one. Um, you know, I always said at the eight-year mark, it was the point of no return, right? Because it's a... If you do one more, you're more than halfway. Uh, but it was the point of no return probably for me at four. Uh, uh, it just gave me opportunity. Again, I grew up in a small town in, in Montana. Uh, my job was a military police officer uh, initially. And um, actually, I continued that all the way through. So I got to be the guy on the gate checking the IDs and for a long, a long time. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and then I also got to run a military police department, which was also uh, uh, civilianized. So we had half federal law enforcement officers as part of my last law enforcement job. Cool. What part of the world was that in? So that was South Carolina. Uh, I used to refer to it as the wrong corner. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, all my yeah. family's up here. And, uh, but South Carolina is amazing. Just amazing. I've heard that. I've never been down there before. Uh, you, everywhere is amazing, right? It all it all just comes down to what you make of it. And uh, yeah, we had the chance to live in Okinawa, Japan, for four years, California a couple times, uh, Camp Pendleton in Monterey, uh, Virginia, Washington D.C., uh, Egypt. Lived in Egypt, cool. and then my last job was in Jordan. So you've seen the pyramids? Oh yeah. Oh. yeah, many many times. Yeah, that is a, my, that's one of my dreams. Yeah, and we actually saw it enough that my kids would say, "Oh, we got to go to the pyramids again." <laughs> How great is that? Very great. What an <laughs> awesome experience for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I definitely we have four kids, and uh, two of them are wanderers uh, and want to see the world, and two of them are just content uh to stay in place are, are they here uh two of them are three. Oh my goodness three kids are here um my oldest daughter uh, just got her own apartment so starting to see the next generation take place yeah like so they're setting down their roots here too yeah and you it, said you were in jordan right before here yes yeah uh, uh as i progressed through the marine corps uh 
I got selected for a, a special education program that made me a foreign area officer. Um, and my section of the world was the Middle East and North Africa. Um, and that included a master's degree studying about um, the Middle East and their cultures, which is pretty unique um, Absolutely. in comparison to, let's just say, Northwest Montana. Um, and then I also got to learn how to speak Arabic, which was um, you, you either have the skills or you don't. And I was one of the ones that had to flip a lot of cards and, <laughs> and, and kind of figure it out. But um, now those experiences, you, you just can't uh, describe them enough. You know, probably my best friend in the world is an imam over 130 mosques in wow. southern Jordan. And the times we spent just talking about Islam and culture and not just talking about it, getting to experience it and, and being a part of it. Because uh, once you're in, you're in with their families, right? You, uh, Arab hospitality is a real thing. And uh, when they say, brother, you are you're part of the family. And it, it is next level. Uh, my, uh, my first wife, her aunt was married, uh, to Saudi national and their kids came over for, for school, went to Gonzaga and, you know, kind of showed them the ropes and, uh, Yusuf, the oldest, uh, just a true brother to this day, even though I'm not married to his cousin anymore, we still connect. In fact, I owe you a call, Yusuf, if you're watching this. Um, that time zone difference. So, but yeah, I understand. Yeah, Arab yeah. hospitality. Yeah, and it's it's just a word, right? But the experience is something that you just can't replicate. Uh, and I got to enjoy that for three years and uh, working as a diplomat in the embassy, getting to put some groups together, uh, you know, just special, special times. And that's where uh, you retired out of the Marines? Yes. Uh, there? Yeah. So then why Spokane, of all the places? Uh, I, I mean, it's not quite northwest Montana. <laughs> that's a long, long story, and probably not what the podcast is for, but uh, we had never in our adult life had a chance to choose. Right. And that was a harder thing than I, th <laughs> I could even imagine. Um, so, because uh, your kids are still like school age at this time. No, most most yeah. adults. Okay. Um, I still had a high schooler, um, two high schoolers actually, a high schooler and middle school when we moved here. But my one of my sons was going to University of Montana in Missoula. My mom and dad lived in Okanagan. Uh, my wife's parents lived in Calgary, Alberta. So it's. We'd never kind of here, like right in the middle. It's kind of a triangle thing, yeah. right? And so we started here to look here. I had driven on the freeway through it many, many times, and just never got off the freeway. Um, and I'm glad we got off the freeway. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, this town is is absolutely amazing. Uh, it provides everything I think that you could want in a bigger city. But your bad traffic day is like ten minutes, no. and and you know having a chance to live in in uh, Southern California and Washington D.C. It tra <laughs> traffic's a thing. Yes, it is. We were just my wife and I were just down in San Diego, and we were just taking Ubers everywhere, and we're like, oh, this is just so amazing. And the last day we rented a car, and we're like, yeah, we're never living here. <laughs> so it yeah. takes the joy away pretty fast. Yes. And, uh, so even in Seattle to do this job in Seattle, I would have to, uh, you know, you'd commute downtown and how much more to your day does that add? Yeah. A lot uh, of life in a vehicle, a lot of life in the vehicle, but I could spend that time doing the work here. Well, so tell us about your work. Um, yeah, sure. I, I'm the police ombudsman for, uh, the city of Spokane and, um, I had to also learn what that was. Um, I as think I, some of our listeners are too. Yeah. <laughs> like, t tell us more about that. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things to a lot of people I've found. Um, uh, there's a lot of differing expectations when it comes to it. But uh, uh, I would say, well, let's just start at the beginning. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult concept to describe. 
uh, you know, Otto Zem was a, an employee of Skillskin. Yeah, he was. And, and really my job and my office is part of his legacy. And we do our best to, to honor that through each and every interaction that we have with a community member. Um, so our, our office is set up um, because there was some, some things that went wrong after, uh, obviously his death was a, a terrible thing and I would describe it as something that went horrendously wrong. Um, wow. So not to get into those details, but our office after um, uh, Otto died, the police department, um, well, let's just say some would say they were less than forthcoming uh, in regards to what occurred and how it occurred. And, and we actually had an officer go to prison, um, right. uh, Carl Thompson, for five years, I believe. It might have been a little longer, shorter. Um, but he, that didn't happen for years after Otto's death. So getting to what happened took years. Um, and so it sparked this movement, right? It, like of, of oversight? Yeah, but it, it really starts with, should it take years to find out what happened when something goes terribly wrong? Great question. Um, and that's, I think, the movement of oversight. And, you know, civilian oversight of law enforcement's been around for a long time. You know, I had the law enforcement background yeah. uh, in the Marine Corps. A little different. You know, we're security-related uh, a lot, but um, you had some nonsense from time to time. Uh, but between that background, running a department, I got to attend the FBI National Academy, um, have a Master's of Forensic Science, and I got to be a diplomat where trying to find win-win solutions is a real thing. Uh, I I wouldn't take out a single one of those experiences to try to do this job well. Because uh, there's just so much angst. Uh, you come to the job and you think it's all about, you know, reforming police, giving the community a better policing experience, uh, making recommendations, which also makes it better for officers to do their job, uh, keep them safe at the same time. You try to do this happy, this happy thing, and it is just not the way it goes. Um, so we find police tragedies in our, in our nation's history for probably as long back as you can even imagine. Sure. Um, yeah. and I think the important thing to do this job and to do this right, it's, it's, it's to say that Otto was a person. He's not a statistic. He's not a, a, a a bad event that happened. He was a person that mattered and he mattered to a lot of people. Oh yeah. And a lot of people at my work. Yes. So that matters and that should matter. The truth of it should matter. Um, whether there's consequences or not, you know, that's for another, another section, but that our, was a catalyst for change because this office arose a hundred percent. So, we were formed to make sure that there's transparency in investigations, that there is somebody looking um, at internal investigations. Uh, there was a proposition one, it happened before my time, I think it was 2012-ish. Okay. Uh, could be wrong on that date. Um, but we actually had the ombudsman office um, placed in the city charter. Um, and in the city charter, uh, gives us the I remember that was a big deal just to get there yeah and it passed by like 70 to 80 percent of the vote so there was there was a good community interest in there um, so it's not just a small group that cared it turned into a movement um, through Spokane so we were established to monitor ongoing police internal investigations and then also to independently investigate anything that we thought was necessary um, Sounds easy, right? Uh, <laughs> right, on the yeah. surface, yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, this is, we can do this. You know, the charter language is about this big, right? About four inches. Uh, it, that's not true. It's about a page. Um, but it's not complicated. 
yeah, the ideas are there. They make sense. Um, but but when you add people, you do, <laughs> and that's complex in and of itself, people and systems, uh, you know, since I've been here, I would say that, um, we're in the news from time to time. And usually it's when something's not going right. Um, not necessarily in our office, but, uh, could be our office, could be the police department. Um, it's just one little snippet of time, right. Compared to the whole work. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to do this for seven years and each year I get to a point, I'm like, oh, I think I'm starting to figure out how to do this job. And you know, I wish I could have what I had now seven years ago. Um, but we are progressing and we're kind of building it. Uh, but I think the point that I just want to say is everybody has a voice. Um, the community has a voice. The police department also has a voice. Sure. And in Washington, subgroups within the police department and different unions and things, they also have legitimate voices. Whether or not we're all saying the same things or moving in the same direction, I think that has been the unique challenge on how to get this done. Uh, we are independent uh, from the city. We're city employees, but uh, city council doesn't come down and kick our door in and say, hey, I want you to work on this today. Uh, the mayor doesn't either. I would say never, not in any of my time here has any one person said, I really want you to work on this. That's awesome. Uh, That's a testament to the, the system. Yeah. I mean, there's hints, there's some other things, but the, everyone recognizes that line. Um, and when it comes to what I see, I think the one piece that we're still working on is establishing that voice to make sure that I can say what I see, how I see it. And then I live and die in my job on how well I'm able to do that, right? Um, so right now we're kind of, live and die is a bad word. But I, we understand what I, you're describing. I succeed yeah. or fail maybe is, is a better... Uh, well, an office of one, and do you even have staff? Uh, we're actually an office of three now. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, and every bit of that has been uh, a step forward. Um can and I, I ask you a question? I was like, just because I'm a lay person, I don't know, but I, I try, you know, I read, I try to be up on events. It's like, when I understood that, like, the office itself just uh, may not have uh, had a lot of access until, like, maybe recently or in the last few years, like, this, uh, the iterations of the office. I think our listeners would be interested in, like, that progression, too, just so they understand. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, and I would say probably the biggest driving uh, or the biggest driver um, to each iteration of change um, is the collective bargaining agreement with the police guild. Um, over, it's been found that oversight is part of their mandatory uh, bargaining uh, topics. Uh, so they get to have a say. Uh, okay. And... So those don't, those those are big agreements, right? Like I think about some of our federal contracts we deal with. Yeah. Like there's time in between. So yeah, they can go from uh, one to four years. Like uh, we, we just had one that went for a year. So really, around contract time, there's maybe a little bit more noise as people are starting to try to jockey for different authorities. Um, independent investigations is probably the thing that I heard I've heard the most since I've been here. Um, we don't do them. Uh, that's why we wanted you, you know, those sorts of things. And for a variety of reasons, uh, we just haven't been able to do one. And we just finished our first one and we published that report in, in December. So let me backdate that just a little bit. Two years before that, there's a lot of agreement and disagreement on whether we had the ability to publish a report at all. Right. Um, so we could look at things, but not necessarily tell you about things. And, um, so now there's this, this new iteration. Correct. Okay. So what more, a little more transparency, but things yeah. move slow in this world. Yeah. So let's go back one more. Um, the one that was in place when I got here, it gave me some authority to do some things. And on the monitoring side of things, so internal affairs 
has their investigators and they do their thing. Um, but we talk about the investigations. I participate in interviews. I can ask whatever question I think so I can listen and see, are we, are we hitting the, the scope of what the complaint was? Are we answering the questions? Um, does it seem balanced? Are we given equal credit to the police officer and the community member at the same time? You know, they're all separate interviews, right? Sure. Um, and then after they write it up and they have to send it to me for a certification. Uh, so every single internal affairs investigation outside of uses of force. So that's different and that's another topic and something I'm very interested in, uh, but we don't have a good handle on that aspect yet. But on complaints, monitoring wise, I'm very proud of our system. I think we have things in place that other oversight agencies around the country could only dream about. Awesome. So for instance, um, I'm not going to say the specific jurisdiction, sure. uh, but I have a colleague that is also a monitor, but he has to write his questions in advance prior to an interview. So there is so you no, don't even know like the context, you don't know how it's going to go. Um, that seems like an impossible moment for that person. Yeah. Um, but he was happy just to be in the interview. So there's different stages of oversight. So and every community around our country is different, I imagine. They're slightly different, and there's nuances. But every community around our country that has it has a concerned community, also has uh, a concerned police department and concerned police. You know, they all have the people aspect of it, which can, can muddy it a little bit. So I certify investigations. After they're done, they come to me, and I review everything, and I, I'm looking for three words. And my three words are timely, thorough, and objective. Um, timely is pretty easy, right? Yeah. They have 180 days uh, to get it done. But I also think, you know, if it took you 175 days to call the complainant back, that might not be timely. You, you know, on, fair. on, on a fair. small thing, right? Sure. Um, but ob objectivity, right? It's just, uh, is it balanced? Uh, so our internal affairs, um, they don't make findings which makes it better to arrive at balanced. Um, then the chain of command has to make findings on their investigations. So all they write are the facts. And interestingly enough, that's what I get to write in my reports are just facts and things that are said. Because right now, through bargaining, I'm restricted from saying uh, my opinion. Because that's a finding, it could It could be seen, right? Yeah. Um, well, just from our report, and I don't, I, on our independent investigation, um, to be absolutely fair to everyone involved, it was complicated. Uh, we interviewed 32-ish people, might be 33. Um, but everybody's desperate to know who's who in the report. And as that trickles out, it becomes media stuff right? right and and there's people on the receiving end of that media stuff now including some, you sometimes um some would say though that's the accountability piece right we could it's definitely the, it's a fair statement it's definitely the transparency piece right mm -hmm. so when we're coming when we want this is a uh, a community that i would say for the most part and when I say most part, 80, 90%, they really like their police. Um, and I, as a part of my job, I get to be close to them. I'm definitely not an insider, right? right. The ombudsman comes to town and they're, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, so why are you here? Exactly. <laughs> so then I'll ask a, a weird question out of the blue and spin everybody, <laughs> you know. But I get to go on ride-alongs. I get to go to their training. I get to see that, you know, we had this event last year that didn't go right. I mean, it didn't go criminally wrong, but it could have been better. Um, and they focus their training, and they're changing, and they're trying. So take the, the legacy of George Floyd, which is a much more recent example. Um, 
and it it feels bigger because it it was national and international sure. uh, consequences. Same kind of situation as Otto, though, right? Uh, yeah, it's an a, inflection point. Like things needed to change. A hundred percent. But what is George Floyd's legacy right now? We don't even know yet because it's still impacting uh, how communities are being policed, transparency systems inside of police departments. It affects our legislation in Washington State. Uh, One of the uh, I applied for and was accepted. um, uh, The governor appointed me to the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Commission, you know, so that we can focus on stuff at the state level. Uh, last year, I was elected to the board of directors for the National Association of Civilian Oversight of Law Enforcement. Uh, so you get to take some of the stuff that we're learning and these iterations of the office and kind of help spread that nationally? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I wrote um, right after George Floyd, um, and I made a recommendation to our police department, I did it for NACOL, um, which is that national association. and. Uh, it was on duty to intervene. You, you know, uh, the person doing the action, they're easier to kind of deal with. Um, we don't want them to do negative actions, but yeah, if you're doing it, you have to answer hard questions about it. Sure. It's that officer that's standing to the side. Um, it's a little more nebulous, right? Like It does, but if... Uh, you know, you, when you're talking about human life and you want to talk about just the dignity of a human life, that has to matter. And it has to matter all the time. I don't care if it's a scary situation or not. Um, and unfortunately, part of the legacy of George Floyd has also put a lot of scrutiny and danger on officers around our country and they're facing things that they they've been facing from time to time but it seems much more focused and um i think legitimately they they have to worry about things that you and i don't have to worry about on a day today basis um and it's easy to say they signed up for this and that they're people too uh so when we're making recommendations and we want to do things for reform, um, I want to do things which help the community, but also help our officers. Well, you're talking about and, the, that officer that's you know standing next to it, that that duty that they have to the person. That's how you build community trust too, though, right? It's like right. there's a commitment to this from you know a local police force, that community policing model. Like it builds trust. It's it's called community policing for a reason, right? Yeah. And then we, you know, don't as a public. I'm just talking about like myself. Like when I read headlines, and maybe I won't just jump to conclusions with when that trust is built. Yeah, and it's 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 one of those. It's a building blocks kind of a thing, right? Uh, because we all have those moments, and we all have that history that we're going to draw our conclusions from. That's bias, right? Every every one of us has. We all have it. Every one of us. Um, bias sounds like a bad word, but it's just how we tick and how we kind of approach things. Um, but when, so again, going back to recommendations and. Uh, and George Floyd's legacy. So we have some legislation in Washington, which put out some police reforms and some of them were rolled back last year, but you know what? That's the politician's job. You know, they're going to do some of those things. Um, but I kind of, just to make it full circle, when I think about legislative reforms and you hear some of the angst, of the community about officers doing things, which um, to be fair, many people would consider criminal. Um, and they have these protections uh, or they have pro- uh, prosecutors that aren't interested um, in holding them accountable for that. And we've had a couple of officers get arrested and put in jail since I've been here for, for crimes. Um, but there's this push nationally to hold officers accountable and, and, and put them in jail if, if they commit these criminal acts. And I don't disagree with that. But... My, my job isn't to put officers in jail. Right. My job is to create a department that 
stays on this side of that that line. Well, it sounds to me like if uh, there's a push uh, by the people and legislative action is happening, like police departments would want an office like yours uh, in in place in their community because like things can go a little crazy in the political world. But you're an office like the ombudsman's office here is that it's that fair. It's that balance. It's that all sides. Well, you I I would think I would want that. They would want that. I I mean, if, if we're doing our jobs correctly, right. We have to be about them as much as we have to be about the police department or I'm sorry, the community. Um, And when it comes to the recommendations, you know, that's good moral high ground to say, I know you might not like this recommendation, but I see the legislation. I'm seeing how it's becoming easier to prosecute an officer. So how about let's keep our officers as far away from that line as possible? That's good for them, too. Mm -hmm. And if that means we have to rethink some police tactics, I think historically we should be rethinking some police tactics. I I get it. That's the way we've always done it. It's 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 just not working for everybody, right? things evolve. And that would include, you know, imagine, you know, police departments too. Everything evolves. Communities evolve. Um, your office evolves the as you know your office put out this you know first independent investigation i'm sure that's a weird moment too you're like okay here we go uh, you, yeah. you put something out and then you have no more control right that's like okay where where does it go and that's not a, a fault or a function of your department it's just that's the world yeah it, it and i think at some point, every one of us in every one of our jobs loses control over a product uh, at, at some point. Uh, it's a very terrible <laughs> feeling. I know it well. But we're committed to doing um, just our best. And we know when we write a, a report or, in this case, do an extensive investigation and then write a report, it's going to be scrutinized and it's going to be scrutinized by the community. Who's like, are they doing what we want them to do? And it's going to be scrutinized from the police department. Who's like, uh, you, you know, and make, then the politicians too. Cause like, how does this affect? Is me? this fair? And then it becomes fodder and, you know, we're going into an election season and uh, I'm getting calls for like, well, what do you think should happen? And I'm like, that's not my job. Good on you. By right. The way. Thank you. Yeah. It's my job is to publish the facts and that's it. The facts to the best that I think they are. Um, and we weren't able to do that even four years ago. So when you think about progression of our, of the office, we're still just an office of three. Um, it took us six months to get this investigation done because the normal work that also takes sometimes 40, 50 hours a week, um, that's still happening too. Right. <laughs> so, so it's just trying to, to figure it out. Um, and to be thorough and fair. It's like, cause you know, all the eyes are on it. Yeah. Um, and if they, if there's holes to be poked, so be it. Right. Because we'll do our best not to make, not to have holes. Um, it's a fascinating, interesting job. I'll, I'll say that historically, since I've been here, there's been a lot of things in the paper, uh, the feud, the, you know, I'm after the the chief, the chief's after me. Some of that, it's, you know, that's just part of the day-to-day working environment, right? Nobody likes the Monday morning quarterback. Right. <laughs> Although they make it, they're famous, <laughs> you, you know, in football season anyway. But um, I do make decisions from the comfort of my chair, um, not in the moment. Uh which makes me think that the humanity of policing is just as important uh, when I make recommendations. And I'll say over the last two years, um, the chief has implemented all but four. Uh, and that's close to 40 recommendations. Uh, that is a vast majority. There's, there's some feel-good moments yeah. there. Uh, we're looking that's for collaboration. We're looking for win-wins. Mm-hmm. And that comes from the diplomat in me. Uh, and there, there are times I'll, I'll just be that stick in that mud that everyone wants to trip over um, because long-term, the strategy has to be the best policing experience in Spokane. 
Uh, well, that's a service to our community, right? Because if we, yeah. we get that right, that just that fundamental part of, of policing, it's, it's a core part of a community. It's where oftentimes the most money in a community goes. Yeah. Like we get, we get that right. Spokane, Spokane County, this area, it's just better. It, exactly. And that right there is why I stay. Uh, you know, it's not, this is not about fame and glory. That's for sure. But can you imagine just the possibility of being part of a legacy that makes community safer, uh, more trusting, not just for the communities, but for the officers as well. Uh, that's what that's, that's time. That's the career. That's a time well spent. I, I can see, um, the allure like in your mind where what might be some next iterations of the office <sighs> oh. what's some of the best practices happening around the world right now in in this in this oversight <laughs> that may be the hardest question that you've asked me because a lot of at the national level, anyway, um, we're still figuring it out. Well, it sounds like we're leaders in that, too. Like, you're bringing some of these forward ideas. Uh, we are. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to what are the community expectations and how do you meet them? Um, but here we are. Um, I'm trying to do math. I was a Marine. That could be hard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Auto Zem, uh, fifteen years ago. Yeah, sixteen years ago. Six to now, seventeen. Yeah, and we are still trying to get the political will to establish the things that were put in place after that event, which is the catalyst for here. When you put that into that perspective over time, I mean, that is a slow moving ship. Yeah. But it hasn't stopped, hasn't gone away. And you're, you know, I just as a, a casual observer, it's like, want to definitely give you credit because the staying power of someone kind of sees it through, sees the iterations. You don't lose the energy when the, when the names change. Because right. every time everyone has the different biases or different ideas you lose the energy and that hasn't happened and that i believe is a fortunate situation for our community thank you for that thank you for your service in this role yeah my pleasure um but looking forward i would say you, you know the conversation that we're having today it started with it wasn't exactly like this but what are you <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you know? And more people are going to know. Which which means I definitely need to focus some energies in that regard. So kind of building that footprint a little bit more. Um, I think part of the loss in there is that we've been just trying to define roles and responsibilities and, and abilities. You know, there was, I wrote a letter at one point in time, um, uh, and the guild immediately threw a flag and it wasn't, I'm just going to make up the topic. Let's sure. I wanted to use blue ink. It, totally not true, but it felt like it at the time. Yeah. Just the thought. you can only use black ink. And I was the only one allowed to click on a, a thing, which made it, you know, if you take a week off, then you come back, you're a week behind every single time. So one thing that, that has progressed uh, internally with our whole three people uh, is we all have access to those systems now. And that was, that was a bigger movement than I think I can express here. Um, but my deputy, Luby Mayomana, um, a Gonzaga Law graduate, uh, does not have a policing background. So brings just a tremendous different perspective than mine uh, that I get to listen to every single day. And I think that what, what really helps us uh, stay balanced and focused on both, both sides. Um, she is now allowed to do every single thing I'm allowed to do. So 
She could sit in the interviews. She can write the reports on her own. She could do everything. Um, allows that body of work to be able to grow. It, uh, <laughs> yes. So now we've had that for a couple of years. We've had reports for a couple of years. We now have an independent investigation. Um, I wanted to do a, a, let's call it an investigation. Um, we could say review or whatever of the protest response that we had here post George Floyd in Spokane. Um, in every single police officer's memory that I spoke with, they had never dealt with such a thing. Yeah, I can't remember. I've lived here my whole life and I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah. So do we expect they got it 100% right? Probably not, right? Well, yeah, of course you, you, not. You've never done it before. And and we don't really even practice it because a lot of the, uh, yeah, the marches... Yeah, because Portland, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk I about just, Portland because I don't know, but I, I, I'm with you on that. Right. Yeah, just uh, that experience. We That's not something, yeah, the police department lives with every day. Yeah, I so get that. I'll give you an insight into a recommendation that's coming. Um they're throwing some gas at the time and we can debate whether or not that was right, but let's just, let's just say what happened. But our police departments, our police officers out there in the gas didn't have the equipment to deal with the gas. So we're putting people into places, having them perform certain tactics without proper equipment. Dangerous. How would you like to be that person? Yeah, I would not. Right? Yeah. And I think you have to think about it that way. We wouldn't way. do that in our jobs. We like would not. We, yeah, we would make sure, like, yeah, safety is an important aspect I mean, of if, whatever we do. If, if the table needs to be raised, we care about those kind of things. But these folks are out there, and I would say, and it's in a very dynamic uh, environment. And life and limb at lo on the line. So helmets <laughs> came, I think, from the National Guard. They didn't have... They just didn't have protective equipment. And when rocks are being, I don't know, I don't get rocks and bottles thrown at me all the time. Um, but if I did, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like some, a big bubble yeah. is what I would like. For, and I'm not asking for that, but it, that's equipment is just one thing. How, how we responded and how the crowds kind of split. Those are really interesting tactical considerations uh, and worth studying, if nothing else, just to have that legacy of what happened before, because hopefully it'll be 40 more years, right, right before we, we face such, such a thing. But it'd be nice to have that historical memory at least reported on in there. Um, Guild well, didn't allow that, but I'm hopeful in future iterations that we're going to be able to expand investigations into things like that, that could be systemic change sort of things and where we could really offer uh, solutions from around the country where we find that some you learn from other people. You, you know, let's have them make their mistakes and we can learn from them so we don't have to endure everything here. Um, but policing is changing tactically. Uh, there is a little, uh, there's just a little bit more space um, in their response where we would call it time distance and cover, you know, you just kind of take a couple of breaths before you walk in. They like to say, and they're right. They don't get invited to the birthday parties. <laughs> um, I hear that. And think about the last time you called the police because you were having an emergency at your home. Yeah. There's nothing good happening. That's yeah. right. Have you had that? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to imply too much, but, Things are not going good in your world at that time, and you're going to be totally in, focused on what's wrong. And they are, and the training that they're working on this 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 training cycle right now is on. Um, here's how to um, use some bikes and how to respond to uh, protest response or something like that. Uh, it's de-escalation all the time it's it's let's let's we're inserting ourselves for a moment into someone's world let's do it in the best way possible
Well, here, here to that and yeah. that evolution. I know pairing, you know, with mental health professionals, some of this stuff. That That's happening here too. Better and better, and that's yeah. awesome. And I have one ask. Okay. <laughs> so, to some of our listeners, they're not going to know who AutoZen is. Could we get just a little, like, just a little description of like what happened or what it was, or because. They won't know that. They might not know that name, especially if they're not from Spokane. For those of you who don't know who Otto Zem is, he was a developmentally disabled janitor who worked for us at Skillskin. He, his life meant a lot to a lot of different people, and his death sparked this movement. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah, th There's going to be strong feelings on both sides sure. of uh, uh, of the story. Uh, there are some officers still in the police department that were on scene and had responded. And, um, you know, the repercussions after the event. So Otto was, uh, he was seen at an ATM. Uh, by a uh, by a passerby, and he was trying to figure out how to get money out of his ATM. Um, and for whatever reason, a person passing by thought, "Huh, it looks strange." Whatever he's doing at the ATM, and they called the police um, and said that I think someone's trying to break into an ATM. And by the time the police had arrived, Otto had moved over. Um, to a small grocery store, a gas station. Um, I wasn't here, so I don't know exactly. Um, and the first responding officer was Carl Thompson, um, uh, who was a former police officer from Los Angeles, uh, but well-respected in the department. Uh, I think some people have, have said that they thought he was going to be the next chief, so it's kind of at that level of respect in the department. And um, oh, Excuse me. Please cut that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and he approached Otto from behind, uh, and, and that's where the stories start to change. So uh, a straight baton uh, to the head and neck area, uh, just kind of a very, well, we would describe it as a violent interaction. Right, real aggressive. Um, uh, and I, I won't go into whether that was justified or not, but if someone comes up from behind me and hits me with a baton, I'm going to have a reaction, which seems like what the heck is going on. I'm going to have an automatic response to pull away. And then you're in this moment of violence that you don't really understand either. Um, Especially living with a developmental disability. Yeah. And, and through the process of that, um, there's a struggle. Uh, even if your struggle is to get away, there's a struggle and um, you can be striking me and saying, stop resisting. And it's almost, that's the dichotomy of, of, of how to look at police reform, right? Because you're causing an action that you're saying to stop uh, is, is probably the real challenge. Uh, whereas, you know, no one will enjoy if I try to say coulda, shoulda, woulda. But imagine a spot where words were used and opportunities to understand and comprehend um, what was being asked. We wouldn't be talking about a story like this today. Um, I think by the time the struggle was over, Otto had a mask put on him. Yeah, there suffocated, was, uh, died. And he died. And he wasn't trying to break into an ATM. So it's tragic from the very beginning. Um, people are going to call on things that seem suspicious. We want people to call when they see things uh, that, that seem suspicious. So we're not saying that's wrong. Um, but what's the information that the officer has prior to their arrival? Um, they're only going to have a snippet. And that's where we're really advocating now in the oversight world to slow down. Just pause just a little. Try to understand what's happening um, because if it takes 
30 seconds to deal with it, that's great. I know um, then when you can move on to the next call. But if it takes three hours to deal with it, then someone doesn't have to uh, be impacted the way Otto was and his family, which, by the way, doesn't ever stop. The people who knew him, loved him, all those things. That's the legacy of police oversight in Spokane. It's, it's to try to get it to a point where it works for everybody. Uh, developmentally challenged um, folks who are struggling with addiction. Anybody that might not be able to respond the way we want you to respond. I was a Marine. I get orders. <laughs> you, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, wiggle room for slow obedience to orders. Right, you're trained. But everybody's not that. Uh, and and you know, I, I wasn't providing oversight back at that time, but in the seven years that I've been here, there is a recognition of that. Um, there is a desire uh, to get better post-George Floyd. It's kind of been um, um, escalates the wrong word, uh, sped up because of legislation and some demands placed on uh, policing where officers are. Uh, it's almost mandated that you'll do that. So, hey, the more emphasis, the more practice, the better we're going to be through that. Um, better system. Yeah. As your office and the ombudsman's office evolves, I cannot wait to see. I think it was a watershed moment for our community, you know, to see what this investigation happen, published, and then, you know, where it goes. But that that's a, a level of transparency that I just think this community needs. It's incredible. Yeah. I think we have learned so much today. Yeah, thank uh, you. Bart, thank you for joining us. Uh, it it's has my been pleasure. an incredible pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.